This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, welcome back to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today is a very special episode. I'm so excited because I am joined by Mal, who is my personal therapist that I've been seeing for, God, Mal, it must be like near on 10 years yeah, now. Yeah, I, I was just saying, yeah, ridiculous. absolutely, yep. Yeah. yeah. So if any of you have read my book, Open, you'll know that Mal, throughout the book, kind of gives little tips and hints on mental health and anxiety and depression and kind of explains some of the things that I went through and some of the things I'm talking about in the book. And I felt it was really important to get her onto the podcast to answer some of your questions. So I put a little thing out on Instagram to ask you guys to send in some questions that you have surrounded by yours or someone who knows mental health. There was about 800 of them. So we've done our best. Some of them were quite similar to each other. So we've kind of grouped them all together. And we're trying to find a way to better answer your questions so you will get the best out of this podcast. So firstly, I feel like Mal... One of the main questions and something that even though I've written a book about it and I have you and Mike, who is my psychiatrist, yep. I still never know how to answer the question. Yeah. What is the difference between a therapist, a psychiatrist and a counsellor? Yep. OK, that's an easy one. Uh, <laughs> let's get the easier one out, which is a psychiatrist. Mike, who's written the book with us is a psychiatrist. Therefore, what that means is that he trained as a medic first, so he did all of his doctor training, and then he specialized in psychiatry. So psychiatrists are really good. I always work with psychiatrists. They're really good at assessing, diagnosing, and then prescribing medication. Therapy is slightly a bigger subject So I'm a clinical psychologist, which tells you a little bit about my training. So my first degree was social psychology. Then you go off and train into clinical psychologists. A psychologist would be somebody who has some training in looking at behavior, sort of diagnosis a little bit. We don't prescribe, okay? If somebody is going to find somebody to talk to for the first time, it's really important to see whether they're registered with one of our organizations. There's one called HCPC, which is uh, you know the organization which health and core professions counsel. Okay, so that would be okay. clinical and counseling psychologists would be registered. Other places would be, you know, if you go and get a counselor, counselors have to be, there's there's no they can have a voluntary registration, okay? So their training right. is very different. As, as a clinical psychologist, it takes three years. Counseling is a very different route. The other question that kept coming up in your Instagram was like, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychotherapist, right? Right, okay. Psychologists can be psychotherapists, but normally when people go to psychotherapy, it's more for trauma work, early childhood stuff. So if you think that's okay. what you need, then you should seek out a psychotherapist. Sorry, Frankie, okay. really long answer. Does it, that's okay. Does that, <laughs> no, does, that's fine. So psychiatrist, psychology, counselling, it's... But yeah. make sure... So for me, if I'm ever trying to explain it, my, in a short yeah. version, is like a psychiatrist can prescribe medication yeah. and a therapist... therapist that's talking therapy. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like more like talking therapy. Yeah. Um, and then a counsellor, I've never thought about that. So a counsellor is someone that then maybe hasn't done a medical... No, I haven't, I haven't, no, I haven't got a medical degree. I've just done a counsellor. Right. But a counsellor a counselor can become a counsellor through doing sort of quite short courses. It would have different types. Okay. Yeah. But I don't, I don't want to get into hot water here, but they are, their training is not as robust as ours. Let's just leave it like that. Okay, <laughs> okay fine. Just make sure that they are registered somewhere. And would you say, when would you know, okay, maybe I need a psychiatrist um, or maybe I just need a therapist? 
You know, I would say, first of all, go and find a psychologist, like, you know, a therapist. Lots and lots of my clients don't have a psychiatrist. Okay, like maybe, right. yeah, so maybe only maybe 20% of them have a psychiatrist. So a lot of them, okay. so a lot of them would just be referred by their GP or whatever, just for talking therapy. Okay. So if I am worried about somebody or I'm thinking, okay, we've been doing lots of sessions here, but their depression, for example, is still, you know, they're still very stuck in it. And it, so then I would say, okay, well, would you like to go and see my colleague who can assess you? So, yeah, we don't come in, you know, in a team, Frankie. You did. Yeah. And psychology can be accessed in lots of ways. Yeah, I think one of the big questions was, well, firstly, how to know when you need to take that step to go and see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I think... First of all, and I would say this, I think everybody needs to go and talk to somebody at some point. Uh, But you know what? I think anyone that sees a psychologist thinks the same thing. I think the world would be a much better place if we all had a bit of therapy every now and then. (laughs) You know, we should become more American in some ways, not not with other ways, but uh, be more open about it, be more accepting about it. You know, people who come and see me, it's not like, oh, I have a reliance. They won't make a, you know, it's not, they won't make a decision without talking to me first. It's not like that. I am somebody they will probably never see, you know, in any other area of their life. They can just come and talk to me. Honestly, I, my profession tells me I cannot judge people. So I have heard so many stories, Frankie. But you know what? I will just listen. I'm so interested in people's stories. And I will ask them questions. And I think people really value that. And mm. them coming... And it's completely confidential. 100%. Obviously, you know, Mike and I, when we were looking after you, we would talk about it, especially if I was worried mm-hmm. about you or something had happened. But uh, no, I'm not. Even if I, if you're referred to me from a GP and you say, no, I don't give you consent to go and, you know, give the GP a report, I won't. It's completely what, what, you know, what happens in this room stays in this room. Yeah. Yeah. And so... What are the different therapies then? Because I don't know this either. Because a lot of people ask me, oh, what kind of therapy did you have? Did you have CBT and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I actually have no idea. Well, that, that's a failing on my part, Frankie. <laughs> no, it's not. But, you know, even when I was in hospital, like, I just did, you just did what, what you I were told. was doing and whatever was help, like, yeah. helping. I didn't care what it was. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. I, th- I feel like the word CBT is thrown around quite a lot. Yeah. I don't really know what the other ones are. So I don't know if you want to explain some of the most yeah. common ones, okay. maybe. So CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, which is essentially the way we think affects how we feel and how we behave. CBT has been going for a long, long time. It is really the treatment of choice for things like anxiety, phobias, addictions, depression, It is much more sort of, you know, based in the here and now, but that's often a criticism that's, and I'm a C, you know, where I trained, it was very CBT. But I will, of course, I will look at, you know, early life and, you know, if there are traumas, there's something called schema-focused therapy, which is, um, you know, which is CBT as well. So, of course, I will look at background stuff. So it is a treatment of choice. If you have OCD, if you have anxiety, if you have panic attack, do not go and talk about early stuff necessarily. But go and, you know, get help for that first. And other things might come up. Right, okay. The other type of therapy would be, like I said earlier, the psychotherapy stuff, which would be talking about early trauma, attachment theory, relationship with parents. That is... You know, that that is much more sort of long term. So for me, if somebody comes to me, we would normally sort of have maybe eight to 16 sessions of proper CBT, which would be recording your thinking, all of that stuff. Then there's other stuff like person centered therapy, which, you know, it's my personality is very much I like to be engaged. I cannot sit here for an hour, Frankie, as you know me, an hour and just listen and not say very much, say, thank you very much. We'll <laughs> can you imagine me doing that? No. no. <laughs> I can, no. Uh, okay. So I feel like we do a mixture then because yeah. 
we do CBT then yeah. I'm guessing I've done yeah. CBT but then we have also gone through past stuff because a lot of my yeah. issues is I hold on to a lot Absolutely. of the past yeah and I feel like that was a big thing with the questions uh, that kept coming yes. up was people asking how to move on from the past so like past traumas things from their childhood yeah is there anything without obviously going and doing this therapy that you can suggest as like a practical I don't know way of looking at things or how to try and in terms of past trauma I think so many times I have people come to me and they will say you know my father was so and so and he did that and all of that and through talking and you know I don't do psychotherapy as such through talking just me asking them questions, getting them to sort of remember things from the past, it's often the case that their memory is very, you know, it's sort of almost like has stopped at a certain point. And then when they're talking about stuff and opening up their lives, they will realise, actually, my father wasn't that bad. (laughs) There were other things happening. So I would Mm. say with trauma, or if you think you've got, you know, difficult relationships with parents, and go and talk to somebody. Because also sometimes memories get stuck at some point in our life when we're young, like when we were 12 or 14. And as an adult, we can look at the past in a very different way. You know, Mm -hmm. you've had children, I've had children. I am much more forgiving of my parents now. And I'm so compassionate to my parents now. Like, oh, my God, did they cope with that? You know, my mother brought up six daughters in this life. How, oh my goodness. I know. And now I think, my God, even with two children, how did she do that? So I think as adults, yeah. we can be more compassionate, but we have to talk about it. We, yeah. we have to look at it. So I think if it's early trauma, I know obviously if there's real trauma, if there's sort of abuse in the back uh, background, yeah. please, please, please go and talk to somebody. Yeah, I think as well, you've you've spoken a lot to me about trying to learn a bit of forgiveness uh, for yourself 100%. and for that person. 100%. And I feel like guilt was a big yeah. thing as well in the questions. And obviously, you know, Mal, yeah. guilt is one of my yeah, biggest things. I That's, I think, a really difficult one. I almost think it's easier to, to forgive others than yourself. Yeah. Do you find that a lot with patients that that's quite Absolutely, a big thing? Or is it just me? <laughs> no, you in particular, because you are such a harsh critic of yourself, all right? You don't see what the rest of us see in you. And that, and that yeah. anybody, I think, you know, you can stop 10 people in the street and they will say lovely things about you, Frankie. But I've seen you through really dark times where I've had to make you cups of sugary tea and things like that because <laughs> you... You know, you be, you just forget. We feel that if we punish ourselves, then somehow we are able to have some control. It's yeah. it's not the case. It's not the case. I truly believe that if we can't be compassionate towards ourselves and we can't be compassionate towards other people, we are yeah. all defective in some way. We all struggle in some ways through our life. You know, there is no life that you know, is completely sort of untouched by anything. Everybody, you know, we all have losses. We will lose jobs. People have lost jobs recently. We will lose loved ones. Also, you know, we grow older. We lose our youth. And <laughs> you're a beautiful creature like you, right? Um, but so we all, but so all life is difficult. This, you know, some um, philosophers will say that life is all about suffering. So we just need to endure the suffering. But yeah. You know, suffering comes in different forms, but we need to be able to forgive ourselves. Guilt, and I've said this to you so many times, guilt is a rubbish, rubbish emotion. (laughs) What does it do? What uh, what is the function of guilt? Just to make ourselves feel bad. Nobody else. I know, but it's one of the hardest ones to not have (laughs) yeah but I think oh I think people who try and please other people have a lot of guilt yeah I suppose because you're never going to please everyone so you're always going to be feeling guilty I suppose so it is like you say it's such a pointless emotion because you're never gonna 
achieve what you're trying to no, achieve. No, and I, and I think sometimes society is also based on, you know, making us feel guilt. Lots of religions are based on guilt. Mm. But it's a form of control and only we can sort of free ourselves of that. It is, if yeah. you're feeling guilty, I don't know, first of all, find out what you're feeling guilty about. Like, have, have I been a rubbish daughter? Have I been a rubbish parent? And then try and turn that around and say, okay, how can I be a better parent? How can I be a better daughter? How can I be a better colleague? Because guilt just makes us feel stuck. So turn it around and say, okay, let me do something positive from that. Yeah. And that makes us feel a little bit better. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. But I think it's one of the hardest things yeah, to do. It's, it, yeah. For me, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I feel like we touched on this a little bit, but I feel like a lot of people don't know when their stress or their feeling down is more yeah. than just feeling a little bit stressed or, or, yeah. or feeling anxious. Yeah. How would you explain to someone when it's maybe time to get some help? Okay. So we all have days that we feel a bit rubbish, okay? So, you know, like, oh, feeling a bit blue, feeling a bit... The word, uh, the word depressed is overused in our society. You know, oh, I'm really, really depressed. Yeah. Like, that's just rubbish. We There's a big difference between just feeling a bit blue, feeling a bit down, and clinical depression, okay? Mm -hmm. So we can all have days where, you know, one day, two days, but if that... If that feeling is persistent, that nothing you do changes that, then I think you need to go and talk to somebody. So for me, I don't know, let's say we all enjoy going out to eat or seeing friends. If you go and do that, but you don't get the same sense of enjoyment from that, then you know, okay, there's something going on here. Okay, so mm -hmm. activities that you previously enjoyed is one of the questionnaire things that yeah, you do. Yeah, that exactly, which you have done many, <laughs> many times. So activities that you used to previously enjoyed and you don't enjoy anymore. Also, when people have no motivation, so no motivation to do anything, things that would have normally made them feel better, like exercise or, frankly, sometimes even just, you know, like having a shower, <laughs> where you have no motivation to self-care, to talk to people, to, you know, get change, that's when you think, okay, this is a little bit more than just feeling a bit rubbish. Because I think there's that part of everyone, you know, that kind of like that stiff upper lip yeah. of like, no, I'm fine. And unless you're broken on the floor and yes. have reached the point that I reached yes. where like, yeah. you know, I felt like I could, couldn't go on and I didn't want to be here anymore. I feel like people think they have to be at that point no. before they reach out to someone. And then I think, no, because by then it's so much harder to get back yeah. up from that. And there's, there's no place for pride or you don't get a prize for, you know, going in when, like you said, when you're on the floor. Go and mm. talk. Your GP should be the first person that you can go and talk to. So you would say a GP should be your 100%. first port of call? 100%. But how do you approach that? Because I think, you know, I've heard awful stories of friends even going to GPs and then being told, go buy a pair of trainers, go for a run or eat more chocolate, one of my friends genuinely got told. Right. Or just being whacked on some antidepressants, yeah. not really told anything about them. So I feel like people have this fear of going to the GP, that first initial. Yeah. How would you say to approach that first appointment? You know what? I'm, I'm grown up and all of that, even I get nervous when I'm going to see my GP. So I would really mm. say make a list, <laughs> perhaps... If you can get through the receptionist at your GP, book a double appointment. So can I have 20 minutes? You can you can make up some excuse like, yeah, I need to talk to them about something or whatever. Take a list and then sit there with your GP, say, I'm sorry, but you know, this is very difficult for me, but can when, can I just talk about something that I'm struggling with? Mm. So maybe write down when you're oh, feeling, because I know with you, yeah. sometimes I'll text you on a day yeah. where I'm feeling yeah. horrendous. Yeah. And then obviously we can't speak for a day yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And by the time I talk to you, I'm like, yeah, those things aren't really bothering me now. Yeah. And, but they'll reoccur. Yeah. So I should just write them down. And I suppose that's the same with going to your GP is when you're feeling those feelings, write it down in that moment. Exactly. So that you can exactly. explain it properly. And all 
GPs are trained in assessing anxiety and depression. But remember, you know, GP, the clue is in the name, they're general practitioners. So, mm -hmm. but what they will do is they will, you know, they will listen. I've got a lovely, lovely GP. They will listen and they will be able to sort of access you to, you know, you know, perhaps make a referral to the psychology department in your borough or they can give you something to read. But that is a really good sort of, you know, first point. And what if you get a GP that does just try to fob you off with get some trainers, eat more chocolate? Uh, okay, so uh, thank you. Sometimes there are more GPs in the practice, all right? So you might, uh -huh. yeah, you might have to wait a month to see the GP that, you know, a nice... Try and see someone else. Try and see somebody else. You could even speak to the practice nurse. They're usually very sort of kind, you know. There is also something which is called IAPT, which is Instant Access to Psychological Therapies. Every every area, so if you type in IAPT, that's you can have six sessions of, especially CBT, they're very much CBT. You can go and talk to them. There's no waiting list, or if there is a waiting list, it'd be about a few weeks. There are sort of voluntary organizations. There's the Samaritans, there is Mind, there is... Calm for men, there's an organized. There are so many things out there. Yeah, because I think a big thing for people is that NHS waiting list to see a therapist. So those other options are good options, maybe while you're waiting. Completely. If you don't feel like you can Absolutely. wait. Absolutely. Read your book. <laughs> there are so many other good, you know, <laughs> there are really good self help books out there. What we haven't talked about is mindfulness. Okay, so mindfulness is great. I think one of your questions said, oh, I don't want something which is a bit meditative. It's not. Mindfulness is so good for things like anxiety, OCD, lots and lots of things. But don't you think it's something that needs to be practiced? 100%. Frankie. Because um, I find it so hard. Frankie, I find it so hard. It, but it, mm -hmm. come on, how much exercise do you do, lady? You 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 know that the more you put in, the more you'll get out from it. Yeah, I just think it's harder though when it's your when it's your mind. Because I think when I was in hospital, one of the things was mindfulness, and at that point, I couldn't handle it. It was too, it was too much. I couldn't sit with my thoughts that much. Yeah. And then I've never been able to do it. And then not so long ago, I did do a little bit of it a couple of months ago. Yeah. But and I didn't like it at first. But then I did find after a few goes yeah. that I really enjoyed it. But I suppose I'm in an easier position mentally to be able to handle it than what I was then. Yeah, and I agree. I, I struggle because my mind, the minute I try and switch off, my mind races off. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. I need to phone that. But I think with practice and the moments I have been able to be mindful, it is bliss, right? Because your mind, yeah. it's really, really good for people with panic, with anxiety, with, you know, OCD stuff. It's, it's very useful. That is all online, you know, people, headspace and calm and so many. So those things are available. So you can start doing those whilst you're waiting for therapy on the NHS. It's very sad. Sometimes, you know, I worked in the NHS for a long time. There's sometimes there's a six months waiting list, there's a 12 months wait. But it will happen at some point. There are also so many, you know, organizations uh, like, you know, AA and GA and CA. So those are all free. You can sort of tap into them all the time. So, yeah. and they are wonderful, wonderful organizations. Um, I suppose it's just taking that first step to yeah to go and actually approach them. But talk to anybody. Talk to your best friend. Talk to a family member. It doesn't have to be a professional, but don't keep things in because that is when you know you and I have talked about rumination, where we worry about stuff. We go over the so many times. People have sat in my room and say, "Oh, I've been worrying about this, but now that I've said it out loud, it sounds really silly." Oh, yeah. I do that all I the know. time. I can think about it for two months and then I see you <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've wasted that yeah. long worrying about that. Yeah. So, so talk to anybody. Talk to somebody. I think it's just easier sometimes to talk to someone who is not emotionally attached. Yeah. I don't know. I think we have that thing where we're emotionally attached to someone. We feel like 
they're going to tell us what we want to hear or if they don't tell us what we want to hear, we're kind of annoyed with them. Whereas with you, whatever you say, I'm like, all right, fair enough. (laughs) I know, because I say with authority, Frankie, that's why. (laughs) I know. No, but the worst thing, you know, the worst thing somebody can say, a family member can say, oh, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, you'll get over it. Oh, no, 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 no. We know enough about mental health now. It's a real illness. You wouldn't yeah. say that to somebody who's like, I don't know, like broken a leg or needs insulin. It is a sort of like, you know, a physically felt illness. Never mind, you know, how how traumatic it is, you know, for our mental health and all of that. You know that, Frankie. You've had many dark yeah. days. So if people have, if you don't value your own mental health, then please don't expect other people to value it. You've got like, no, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. So I need to go um, and, you know, try and find somebody to talk to. And how would you then approach someone who you know is struggling but doesn't seem to want help or hasn't reached out that you're worried about? How do you approach that situation? I feel like if someone doesn't want to be helped, they're not ready to be helped yet. No, I agree. I agree. But you can perhaps, you know, lay down some of, you know, you know, just some nice options. Like, you know, I'm always here if you need to talk to me or I've noticed that you've been a bit withdrawn. Is everything okay? You know, men would show that they're struggling often through, you know, if they're more, they're angry more or they're drinking a little bit more. Men can do all sorts of, you know, they can express anger, but they can't express other feelings Mm. yeah I was gonna say men particularly because that was a big uh, a question that came through a lot is yeah or my husband or my boyfriend I don't really know how to help them do you have to approach men slightly differently they see it as a weakness I've seen this lovely lovely man sort of um, a father of two children who I've seen for a while now and he only came back to me recently and he was always like you know I'm really frustrated with my wife she doesn't do things you know, she, you know, I tell her to, you know, like plan holidays or do stuff with the kids. Only recently has he accepted that he's a worrier. So when she is not a worrier, so he would say, oh, no, we need to do this. We need to do that. He was, he would, was easier expressing it as anger and irritation. Whereas now he right. said, oh my God, yeah, actually I ruminate about things and I worry. It's like, hmm, okay. So... Oh, so like she was more laid back about Absolute. time and Absolute. booking things and stuff. Absolute. And he's like, oh, why won't exactly. she do it now? Exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I think men will will show it. Also men feel that they are expected to be strong and the providers and, you know, they need their children to look up to them. And they are so afraid to show weakness. Whereas mm. you and I know that it's, you know, we we... You know, we are, we work with men. We you know we live yeah. with men, and it's okay for them to show some vulnerability. Yeah, I find the boys really respond more to Wayne when he yeah. is softer with them and wants cuddles. And yeah. like, I still remember with my own dad. I still remember the first time he said, "I love you," oh. or "I'm proud of you," yeah. or gave me a massive hug. And I'm sure he had hugged me when I was younger and stuff, but. I definitely feel like he softened as he got older yeah. and I can feel and see that moment still. Yeah. So I feel like men feel they need to be strong and they need to be this, that, the other. But actually, I don't remember those moments of, I do remember my dad being strong, but yeah, I remember more and appreciate more those moments of softness and yeah, and, things and, from my dad. Exactly. And, you know, men can do it. I mean, they can take their children out and play football and which is, which is great, but it's, you also need to be able to sit down and speak with your partner. And and if you need help, rather than reaching for the alcohol, which is, you know, which numbs and makes things okay for a while, mm. you know, go and talk to somebody. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled that, you know, lots of sportsmen have written books, you know, Rio Ferdinand about losing his wife, yeah. um, Freddie Flintoff about his eating. To- that would have never yeah. happened like five years ago. No, it's changing. It's definitely changing. One hundred percent. And I, you know, but I feel like it's a big society thing. I yeah. think it's going to take a long time for yeah. us to break through that. You know, I'm a mum of two boys, and even I have to watch myself sometimes. Like, 
oh, no, you've got to be a big boy and not cry or whatever. You know, sometimes I think, oh, no, because I want them to show emotion. I try to get them to tell me things and to be open with me. And then, yeah, other times I might shut them down a bit or something. And that's because that's been ingrained in in me over years of men are this or women are that and... I don't know, I think we'd... Yeah, and, you know, it's okay for boys to say, I don't like pink because girls... No, that's not okay. We need to challenge everything from such an early age. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like, you know, girls can be allowed to express emotions, but boys, no. You know, there are so many boys who are sitting in their bedrooms playing computer games and, you know, doing online stuff and talking to people. And that's not always healthy. I think with any teenager, with any young person... Communication is, uh, you know, the the key. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's a lot of parents asking questions about their yeah. teenage daughter or sons yeah. and saying that they're depressed or they're anxious. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? Because they often shut you out, I guess. They do, but I also think it comes from as parents, we need to like model good behavior. So if we're worried about something, then we can say, oh yeah, you know what, mummy's worried about that, but that's okay. You know what, she's going to talk to daddy or talk to, you know, auntie and we're going to figure that out. So they have, mm-hmm. you need to use that language with them that everybody struggles, but it's not as if it's insurmountable and nothing can be done about it. So teach them that language. As children, we should also, you know, encourage them to problem solve. You know, oh, Johnny's not playing with me in the playground. He, they all hate me. <laughs> so then you sit down like, okay, so what else is going on? Does Johnny yeah. talk to other children or whatever? So you sort of teach them. With teenagers, they are a, they're an interesting sort of species. <laughs> <laughs> um but again, you don't pop into their bedroom. I've had teenagers like pop into their bedroom. Is everything okay? What are you doing? Show interest. When they mm-hmm. come down, my husband is a great believer in like when, you know, when the boys were younger, like come down and we'll eat. And then you're like, so how was your day, Noah? How was your like, uh, so, you know, just, just educate them on that. So they will talk about other things. Get them, mm. get them to come off their blimmin' devices when they're eating they have to have, you know, maybe your child is going off and talking to a teacher, which is absolutely fine. But communication... Yeah, I think sometimes as parents, we want it to be us, but sometimes that's yeah. not necessarily the yeah. case. But as long as you know they're talking to someone. Exactly. You know, I think as teenagers, they, they have no respect for us. They think, you know, we're all idiots. At the, yes, no matter what. <laughs> uh, so you've just got to think that as long as they have, sometimes... You know, you have to perhaps go and speak to the school counsellor if there is one at the school or Mm. encourage them to do it. But again, for us to be able to tell our children, to be able to tell our husbands and sons and every, it's okay to go and talk to somebody. Yeah. It is hard because children, I think they get also very, you know, they they love their privacy. They're like, shut the door and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But like, you know, I'm here. Should, Should we go for a walk? You know, should we go and get something to eat? Get them to talk. Yeah, I find even with the boys, and they're only five and seven, if they're kind of distracted by something else, I get more out of them. Exactly. So when I'm in the car with them and I pick them up from school, how was your day? I get nothing. Whereas if we're eating or if we're walking or I find often when they're they're, they're in bed, that's when, probably because I want to stay up later, that's when they're more open for discussion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but also probably when they're a bit tired and a bit more relaxed. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. But anytime, you know, uh, Frankie, anytime, you know, I know some parents don't have time or, you know, the luxury of being able to read the, the children a bedtime story. Yeah. But whenever you can, whenever mm-hmm. you can to try and, you know, I mean, it, 
children do get depressed. It's not only adults get depressed. So children have lots of worries. COVID has presented, you know, like little four-year-olds are getting OCD now about hand-washing and germs. But be open with them, talk to them, talk about your own worries, but not to overwhelm them, obviously. But Yeah, how do you approach that? Because I get asked that a lot. Oh, do the boys know? about you or like when you're having a I get asked all the time when you're having a bad day what do you tell the boys and I normally just say oh mummy's not really feeling very well today and I don't really go into it to be honest what is the best way to how is the best way to approach that you know what that is the best way children when they see their parents unhappy or arguing or struggling they will often personalize it I've done something wrong that mummy's unhappy. I, you know, something, uh, I haven't been a good boy or I haven't been a good... So I think it's really, really healthy for you to tell, you know, know, mummy's just a bit worried today, but it's okay. So all Mm -hmm. they need to really know is, oh, it's nothing to do with me. She's just having one of her days, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's right, all right. You're like, mummy's just in bed, fine. Because, you know, children want to please us. You know, children need our attention, but... They're okay as long as they have an answer. When they're older, they can read your book and they can... But I, you know what, Frankie, my boys are much older. They're not really interested in our lives that much as long as... <laughs> they're not really that interested. They're just like, oh, okay, she's okay. She's like, you know... Yeah, as long as you're all right, they don't really need more. They don't need more. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me, the worst thing a parent can do is to over-confide in their child. Mm-hmm. If there are, you know, if there are big no-nos, never, your child is not your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Your child is not your partner. You are the parent. They, it's our job. No matter how old they are. 100%. Because children be, start to feel over-responsible. You have that, you know what that's like. Oh, I know, yeah. yeah. It's not healthy, so we are always a parent. We're always the adult. So you can share with them, but what they need is a parent. They can have yeah. lots of friends. Please <laughs> never overconfide in a child. Do you find from seeing all of your patients and stuff, is social media a big thing for yeah. adults but as well, but young people too? I Do you know. feel like that's... You will know, you know more about this, but Frankie, it's you know it's human nature for us to compare ourselves to other people. It's very addictive. It is. I personally think it's very self harming, but I am of that age now, you know, where I I I'm not so drawn to it as you know sort of younger people. So people have to be careful. People have yep. to be careful. People have to, you know, if you're going to compare yourself I really feel that you need to compare yourself to like a previous version of yourself and I think we wrote about that in your book you know like let's say I start to run I can't say okay I'm going to start to run like Mo Farah whatever I can never run (laughs) I can't do that but I can say okay you know what I haven't been able to run so maybe I'll set myself a goal of running five minutes or eight minutes Mm. so I know people look to you 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 will be able to answer this a lot but it's everything in moderation it is such yeah. a distress for me. Just such a it wastes so much time. Yeah, it is a lot of time, and it does. It does. You know, like I've had to take filters yeah. off of my Instagram. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. I'm so purely proud. for myself. Yeah, <laughs> because every time I saw myself without one, I was like disgusted with myself. I was like, oh my god, my skin's not as clear or as even as 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 I thought it was, yeah. and. It is, I think it's a really difficult one with social media. And I hope that by the time my kids are yeah. older, we would have figured it all out and kind of found that happy medium with the whole thing. Yeah. But I also think we have to take some responsibility ourselves, yeah. not just in what we post, but also how we take on other people's posts. Yes. Sometimes I kind of, if I look at someone's post and I think, oh, she looks so much happier than me or... She looks like she's got her shit together yeah. and I haven't. Yeah. I I'm instead of thinking, oh, she's out of order, she shouldn't post that. Yeah. I kind of think, well, why am I feeling oh, well, like yeah, that? That's my issue, not hers. And I think a lot of people give other people stick for what they post. Yeah. 
you know, oh, she look, someone posts a bikini picture and she looks amazing. Yeah. Well, why shouldn't she? Exactly. She's obviously worked hard for it. Why shouldn't she be able to do exactly. that? Um, so instead of thinking they're a bad person, I think look at yourself and think, well, why do I feel self-conscious looking at that? Uh, 100%. You know, it, I agree. Everything that you just said. It's. Um, mm. I think when people struggle with their self-esteem, that is when it, I think, bothers them the most. Because, you know, like, why can't I look like that? And then that is the way that they would talk about it or you know, sort of express themselves would be through anger. And anonymous yeah. posting is like, it destroys lives. I know, you know, people who are so smart and and yet they will be, they, their lives would almost like fall apart if they have some, you know, like a negative criticism or a negative review of their book. It is so dangerous and people will be yeah. tapping away writing stuff I don't know why why do people do it just to feel better I don't understand mm. there's almost like this takedown culture yes. now as well if someone messes up and I don't know from your point of view but for me I feel a bit like you know someone makes a mistake yeah everybody makes mistakes yeah. and we 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 have been brought up and we teach our children yeah. you make a mistake yeah. you apologize yeah. you make it right obviously depending on how big that yeah. mistake is yeah. then you move on yes. whereas now I feel like with the way the world is going it's like you make a mistake and you get wiped out that's it people think you should lose your life your family your job whatever yeah. and and I feel like that's teaching the next generation that you can't ever mess yeah, up and that you have to be perfect yep. forever. And that's just not realistic. It's not human. No. <laughs> human is to earn. Like we make mistakes. But every time, you know, that's how we build up resilience. It was very famous, fail, fail again, but fail better. Make a mistake, but learn from it. It doesn't mean that, like you said, you lose everything. What's the point of that <laughs> You know, that's yeah. why if people have very, very high expectations of themselves, of themselves, again, you know, men in particular, that you know, the suicide rate of, you know, for men is so high because they do think they can't make a mistake. Public humiliation, all of that. We need to learn from it. Every single one of us has failed at something. I know I failed. I'm sure you would have. But... You, yep. The best thing is like, okay, rather than thinking, okay, I don't deserve anything, but like, okay, I can learn from that. What can I learn? I know it takes time. People fail in their relationship. That doesn't mean you'll never be able to have another relationship. Be kind. You know, like I know it's overused now, but be kind. Treat other people in the way that you want to be treated. And what do you find that your patients find the hardest? Because I know you kind of... We laughed because I was probably one of your last patients to call you because for yeah. me, lockdown was great. I, I had no social I anxiety. I was quite easy for me to stay in my house yeah. Yeah. and not have to worry about any of my anxieties that I, I normally know. have. Yeah. But that quickly changed for me when we came out of lockdown yeah. because then there was change, yeah. which I'm not very good with, yeah. and uncertainty, yes. which I'm not very good with, and <laughs> just kind of not knowing where we stand properly. What have you found with your patients has been the thing that they've found the hardest? What you are, I was very busy during lockdown, bizarrely. I learned how to use Zoom and all sorts of things. But uh, it was, there was a lot of health anxiety, obviously. There were people struggling with sort of just adjustment, you know, like, we are used to getting up, getting changed if we've got jobs to go out. So now suddenly everybody's at home, right? So there was the people have been struggling with that, but a lot of worry, lots of stress, and you you talk about uncertainty. COVID really, really triggered uncertainty in lots of people. Worry, anxiety, and uncertainty just go hand in hand. Okay. Anxious people need certainty. The antidote to sort of like, you know, worrying that is to be able to tolerate some uncertainty. Yes, there will be a vaccine, but, you know, it might not be till whatever next year. We have to train ourselves to live with some uncertainty. And how do people deal with health anxiety? Because that came up quite a yeah. lot and you know, worry about anxiety about death, yeah. like before COVID anyway. And I know 
I'm someone that really struggles with that. And we've spoken about that quite a lot. How, I don't know, I guess it's quite a broad answer, but how does someone kind of train themselves to not be so anxious about it? (laughs) You know what, it's, I always say to people, focus on the things that you can control. There is so much in our lives that we can't control. Um, And that's where mindfulness also comes into play because mindfulness is all about being in the here and now. I don't know when I'm going to die. I have no idea. I know it's inevitable I will die. So focus on the things that we have under our control in terms of, you know, what we eat, how much we sleep, um, um, how much we exercise. Stay in the here and now. Worry is all about what if. Some some of your Mm -hmm. questions in the end, like, you know, how, how do I cope with my sort of like, you know, worry or racing thoughts or whatever. It's like we talked about guilt. Worry is a learnt behaviour. Human beings, we are not born worrying. We learn to worry. We learn to worry because we want some control in our lives. So if I worry about, I don't know, um, you know, my health or the health of my children or whatever, it, it makes us feel almost like, you know, we have a plan. So if that was to happen, oh, yeah, I'll be able to do that. So if my boys don't, mm. they, you know, I don't know, whatever, like, you know. So worry is a learnt habit which makes us feel a little bit secure. Not everybody worries. Believe me, that's a fact. Not everybody worries. <laughs> Anxious people worry. Will mm. I ever get better? Uh, will this ever go? Of course it will go. Every, you know, everything changes. So you need to try and stay in the here and now. You need to learn, okay, when when I'm worrying, you know, how am I feeling? What's my thinking? What's happening in my body? So break it down a little bit. Try, sometimes, you know, with worries, I would give them like a worry period. Okay, you can only worry for one period in your day, which is between 3 and 3.15, let's say, right? <laughs> Seriously, Frankie, really works, right? Because anything, oh, I can't worry about that now. I need to worry it through. By, I'll worry about that yeah, at 3.15. At 3.15, <laughs> you've forgotten that worry. So, right. so like, put, put a sort of boundary around it. People worry, people who write lists, not like lists when you're going to the supermarket, but just lists. Oh, like, you know, what do I need to do for Christmas? Or what do I, you know, my child, my son's birthday party? Like, why do you need to like, trust yourself? People who worry don't trust themselves, mm. right? So I will be able to cope with that. So worry is a big topic. There, There is lots and lots of things that, you know, CBT is really good for worry. <laughs> it's, yeah. But it's a, it's a learned behavior. So therefore, by definition, you can unlearn it. It's like a okay. safety mechanism. Oh, if I worry, then I feel okay. No, you don't. You're going to be okay. <laughs> You're going to be okay despite that. Worry is its such a waste of time. And do you think a lot of, because there was a lot of questions about sleep, do you think most of that is worry? Yeah. Sleep is, human beings need to sleep. If we left sleep alone, we would sleep. It, it's like, you know, you go to bed, you know, sort of you know, general sleep hygiene stuff, go to bed, do not use your phone as an alarm clock. Or if you do, you know, go go to a shop and buy a three pound alarm, alarm clock or something, right? Put it mm. on, uh, put it on, um, what do you call it? Airplane mode or something. Yeah. The bed should only be for sleeping in, right? If you can't sleep for about 20 minutes, get up and go and do something else, do something really boring, right? Really? Yeah, like, you know, I don't know, sorting out your taxes that I'm supposed to be doing at the moment. Right? <laughs> Where you feel really drowsy and you don't. I know young people like you as well, Frankie, would like sit there, watch their, you know, use their uh, computers, phone. Phone. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't. Be really disciplined. Mm. Be, you know, try and leave, you know, just try and stop maybe about an hour before you go to bed. Don't do emails in bed. Don't do texting in bed. None of that. Okay, you tell me, how many hours of sleep do you think we need? I don't know. Everyone always says eight, don't they? Yeah, it's eight. It's the average. Some people need five. Some people need 11, right? Yeah. But sleep is also, you know, people can sleep standing up. People can sleep all over, you know, anywhere on the side of a street. 
it doesn't, sometimes I think we make sleep into a bigger issue than it actually is. We need a nice, comfortable mm. bed. But if we're really tired, we need, the, the brain will take the, the amount of sleep it needs. It doesn't have to have it in like one long stretch. Like you go to sleep at 11, you wake up at 7. You yeah. know, it can, you can be doing 11 to 1. If you're tired, go to bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, we all have a certain time when we feel really, really sleepy. Try and find. I'm really, really sleepy about ten thirty because I, you know, I'm of that age now, right? If I, <laughs> if I sort of say no, 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 I want to watch something on TV. Or if I'm out, if I, if I go to sleep about twelve, then I will sleep really badly because I've missed that little magical time when I'm not. Yeah. So, you know, again, you know, find out a little bit more about yourself. Sleep is. It's essential. It's like breathing, Frankie. Right? Just you don't. But so let the brain do what it needs. Don't say, "Oh, I need to have you know all of these sort of potions. I need to have a bath and like, leave it alone." You know, obviously, mm. you know, brush your teeth, wash your face, or whatever. Then go to bed, switch the light off, and go to sleep. Yeah, people struggle. If you're worrying in bed, that's how we got to this question. <laughs> Get out. The bed should not be a place where you worry. Because it's dark, it's quiet, and we believe our scary thoughts at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get up, go to you know, go to a different room if you can. Say, okay, let me do my worry time now, and then I go back to bed. A big topic that we haven't touched on is medication. Yeah. I feel like that's a massive thing that I always get asked about, and uh, the biggest thing I found was people worrying about coming off yeah. it. More not as in, oh, I'm scared to come off it. More, oh, I shouldn't be on it forever. Yeah. I need to get off it. How do I do that? Why do you? Th- why is that such a big thing? Why are people so worried about being on medication? Because they talk about, oh, I don't want to be dependent on anything. Okay, so there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a big issue about dependency. There is also an issue now about withdrawal symptoms. Oh, I've had that. They are horrendous. They are horrendous. But, you know, for different medications, you have different symptoms. I always say not everybody needs to go on medication, right? If we do, absolutely wonderful. I'm one of those psychologists like, okay, take it. Like, why not? So if you need it, if if your GP said, you know, like, take this prescription, you know, go and try it out, please, please be brave enough to sort of go for it, all right? You need to be on medication for at least six months. And when you're coming off it, do it very, very gradually. And you're, and whoever's prescribed it, your GP, a psychiatrist, whoever's pre- work with them to have like a reduction regime. So, you know, you will perhaps, you know, reduce it in I don't know, maybe half and then so do it very gradually. Mm-hmm. But and you need to take it every day. Right. So you can't say, oh, yeah, I'll take it now. It's not like some vitamin pill or whatever. So you need to take Mm. every day and you will know that it's working, you know, maybe after about six weeks. Sometimes people, you know, take a tablet. Oh, my God, I feel better. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do understand there is a dependency. No, I don't think so. But, you know psychiatrists would be very, you know, if if you have a psychiatrist, talk to your psychiatrist about, you know, when you think it'd be safe to start coming off it. Pregnant women, you know, during pregnancy, you can be on antidepressants. They're not. People, for me, what I struggle with is people can take extraordinary amounts of recreational drugs. Okay, (laughs) right? (laughs) They they don't know what those drugs are. (laughs) They were like, yeah, it's like, and you won't take a little white tablet, which is yeah. had years and years and years of research behind it. For me, just think about it like that. Yeah, I think as well. Like if you're if you're worried about going on it, like I tried therapy first, was very reluctant to go on any sort of medication, and then I just got to the point where I was like, "Well, this isn't working. Yeah. I obviously need something else." So I feel like. You know, if you want to give yourself a chance, give yourself that chance. But also, there's no shame there in it. It's not no... a failure to be on antidepressants or anti-anxiety. I agree. I agree. And, you know, often lots of research has shown that for clinical depression, especially your type of depression, Frankie, that antidepressants plus CBT 
provided the you know the best outcome for the client for mm. the patients i feel like one of um quite a current worry that came up quite a lot and that this kind of christmas time can be really difficult you know oh it's the most wonderful time of the year we should all be jolly and happy and and I find those situations although I'm a massive Christmas lover yeah I find situations where I'm supposed to be happy or at my happiest sometimes the hardest situations and Christmas time Christmas Christmas pressure came up a lot on the questions and also how to deal with family members that mm. don't necessarily make you feel great about yourself yep I think that's a really difficult one because with friends you can kind of if you need to, it sounds brutal, cut people out. But with family, you don't really feel like you can do that. So I don't know, have you got any advice for people around this time of year? And uh, Often this time of the year is my busiest time because people, really? yeah, seriously, Frank, it's because, you know, people haven't seen uh, relatives for like a year and then you're suddenly expected to be with auntie, whatever, Jackie or... You know, like mother you haven't spoken to for six months and they're, you're all in this house for like three days. I would, yeah. you know, I would suggest that you become very assertive about things. If it's, don't feel that you need to do everything yourself, you know, delegate, you know, different activities to people and just tell yourself it will pass. <laughs> it will pass. Mm. Like when is Auntie Jackie going back? Have I organized a car for her to go back? <laughs> <laughs> Um, make it easy for her to leave yes. <laughs> there are trains on boxing day auntie <laughs> so like uh, yeah um it will happen also keep the alcohol sort of like you know amount available very low in the house alcohol sort oh, really? of alcohol yeah. loosens the tongue there's always something's going to happen, you know. And you said this to me in January and I haven't been... No, it's like... Eight years ago. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it will pass. Keep, you know, there's some activity. If we can go out, try and go out for a walk. But don't dread it. It is a time, you know, where we can, you know, just sort of stop for a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't celebrate Christmas, but I love Christmas because... We can yeah. eat and everything. So try and focus on the nights. Maybe COVID will be really good this year because we can say to Auntie Jackie, you can't come down because you won't be able to go back. <laughs> yeah, it's a good excuse. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not in my bubble, Auntie. So uh, don't come. But, you know, just mm -hmm. be honest. Don't fear. Find a level of assertiveness as well. I think that's something you always try to uh, yes. teach me is be a bit more learned, assertive. Learn to say no. <laughs> and also, you know, shopping, there's, you know, there's sort of so much written about shopping addiction, just because we can sit there and order Amazon nonstop from four o'clock. Yeah. Don't do it. It makes us feel better re just temporarily. Yeah. Okay. The minute I know people, I see clients who will just order, order stuff and they won't even open those packages because that thrill of pressing yes, buy, you know, once it's happened and you have that, you know, the real sort of dip afterwards, that's not helpful at all. So have a budget. If you have a partner, discuss it with your partner and follow through. Everybody knows that this year has been really difficult. Uh, yeah. I know lots of people who will go out and actually sort of like, you know, work, you know, at soup kitchens on a Christmas day because they find it very difficult. So do whatever's right for you. But again, be honest about it. You know, sort of people being in the kitchen all the time and, oh, it's 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 this now. Can we have some sandwiches? No. So do whatever's right for you. Bring your own Aunt Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> all the Aunt Jackies out there going, oh. I know, yeah. It's the new Karen. Um, is there anything else, Mal, that you had written that you wanted to... Yeah, I, think we've, I, I think we've done quite well, Frankie. Uh, I do as well. There's loads of, you know, we perhaps you can suggest some um, self-help books. and There are so many good ones, but, you know, try and get a CBT self-help book because it's much more practical. There's so much out there for anxiety, panic, worry, OCD. Do something. Don't suffer in silence. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mel. Pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like I've quite liked being on the other side of this conversation. And you, you, putting you in the hot and you, seat. And, and, and you know how anxious I was about this, but... Um, I know, yeah. it's so weird seeing Mal worried instead of me. Yes. 
But this will have helped so many people. I hope it helps you if you're listening. And if you sent in a question or a worry, I hope we've kind of covered it. I feel like we covered so many subjects and so many things. And if we're lucky, I might be able to convince Mel now that she's found her feet to come back for season four. So, um, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think of it. And um, it'll be really nice to know if our conversation has helped. So thank you. If you're feeling depressed or unsure about your mental health, the most important thing you can do is to talk to someone. The Samaritans run a confidential 24-hour helpline, which you can call for free in the UK on 116 123. Or you can visit samaritans.org for other ways to find support. You should also contact your local GP. Please remember you are not alone. There is always someone to talk to that wants to help.